This morning's scripture is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. And if you need a Bible, there's a Bible in front of the seats there, and you'll find that on page 863. These scriptures talk about a tree and a fruit, and it's fruit. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do praise you for your word. We thank you, Father, for uh, the privilege you've given us to be here today, God, and we just uh, thank you for this Father's Day, that you might bless each father here today. Lord, that we might be the fathers that you would have us to be. God, we uh, thank you for our pastor and pray, Lord, you'd be with him as he uh, shares your word today. Father, may you uh, give us uh, hearts that are listening to you. And Father, may we honor and glorify you there. We do lift up those who may not know you today, Lord, and praying, God, that they would receive you as their personal Savior uh, before this day is out. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Len. <clears throat> so Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission to multiply, transform followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he said in verse 40. Uh, back in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, <clears throat> will be like his teacher. That phrase, fully trained, which means transformed or becoming like Christ. That's Jesus' mission. That's the heartbeat of this sermon that he's been preaching. We've been looking at in Luke chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus is talking about what it looks like to be <coughs> excuse me, a transformed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so far... He's shared with us, uh, just a brief review of the sermon in Luke 6, he shared with us that to be fully trained or to be a transformed follower of Jesus Christ means living right side up in an upside down world. Remember that? We talked about the blessings and the woes and, and all of that. that. That's living right side up in an upside down world. Then Jesus goes on to teach that being fully trained, being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, means not just that you love people who love you and look like you and talk like you and act like you, but you love your enemies. And then he goes on to say, not only do you love your enemies, you do good for them, you pray for them, you bless them, but also you do not severely judge. You're not to be a person of severe condemnation and judgment, but rather a person who is forgiving and generous. 
We should also be, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing our sin first and foremost. We shouldn't be pointing out everyone else's sin, right? I can't believe you do that or you did that. But we should be uh, putting ourselves under the microscope, seeing our sin and repenting and asking the Lord to give us new hearts and to change us. And then last week we considered uh, verses 43 through 45 and how the transformed life means bearing good fruit, uh, that, that a tree is, and its fruit correspond. Uh, so goes the root, so goes the fruit. And we, we explored that uh, a bit last week. Now this morning, Jesus ends his sermon with this, this powerful conclusion of demanding a response. He's given a sermon, and just like any, any good preacher, he says, now here is the response, and he says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? That is a piercing question. That should search us and, 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 and make us think much about what we profess with our words. Is it true uh, to our hearts and our lives? And he goes on to give an illustration of two builders. He says, verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, note those three verbs, actually three participles, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came and the stream broke against that house uh, and could not shake it because it had been well built, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus is saying, and the big, big idea, the big thought this morning is Jesus is saying he does not merely want people to come and listen to him and say, oh, what a great sermon that was, Jesus, right? He doesn't want people just to come and listen to him. Coming and hearing are not enough. Jesus demands what? He demands obedience, that you obey him. That's what he demands from all of us. Jesus is saying, do you call yourself a Christian? Do you say, Lord, Lord? So do you profess my name? Do you, do you profess me to be Lord and, and Savior of your life? Then how are you living? What are you, what, are you, what are you doing? How are you responding? Are you going to obey? If you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't obey me, you're a fake. You're just acting. That's what he's saying in our text. Until and unless you reach the point of actually doing what Jesus says, you are not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in our text. The real proof of discipleship, of being a follower, being fully trained, is not what you say, it's what you do. You've heard him, you've heard what he's taught, you've heard what he said. Will you do the things he tells you to do? So, so verse 46, if you're following along in the bulletin and the outline that's in there with the growth group questions, discussion questions. By the way, just, just as a side note, with the growth group questions, maybe you don't always make the growth group. I hope everyone here is involved in a growth group. Actually, I know that everyone here is not, and you should be. Get involved in a growth group. It's a good way to connect, be involved in this church. But sometimes life happens. You're not able to make it to the growth group. Those growth group questions function great as family Bible time. 
Maybe after church, you have lunch together as a family. If it's Father's Day, maybe you go out to eat. Pull that sheet out. Go through some of those questions. Talk about them. Even if you go to growth group, still do that. Then you're prepped for growth group, right? So that's a win-win. Uh, but if, if you like the foul outlines, that's in there for you. And the first, first part of the outline is, verse 46, a piercing question. And that piercing question, again, is why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Well, that double vocative, right? Lord, Lord. We find that all over the place in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, you have the double vocative of when Abraham is with Isaac and the angel calls out to Abraham, 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 right? Remember that? Back in Genesis 22. Or you have God calling out from the burning bush, Moses, Moses, all sorts of illustrations of this in, in the Bible. You have a Jesus, and he's sleeping in the stern of the boat. And the disciples, there's this massive storm going on around them, right? And they, and they, they think they're going to die. They very well are going to die unless Jesus does something. And they cry out, Master, Master. Perhaps the most shocking or one that sticks with us the most, or maybe a couple of them that stick with us the most, are uh, when Jesus is uh, looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he's, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. Or he hangs on the cross and says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God. That double vocative. Can you hear through that double vocative, Lord, Lord, that it's intense? It's often urgent. It, it implies a sense of belonging and intimacy and knowing them, right? Lord, Lord, or, or Jerusalem, Jerusalem, or Abraham, Abraham, right? It's intimate, that there's a connection, there, there's a knowledge of one another, there's, there's a belonging to one another. And, and here when they say, Lord, Lord, they're not, they're not lowering, their, low, lowering their voice and mumbling it. They are strongly, intimately asserting, Lord, Lord. Very good chance that there's, there's tears streaming down their face as they say it. Now what does it mean to say, Lord. Uh, often in Jesus' day, Lord was no different than just calling someone Sir. If you want to call me Lord Andrew lately, go for it. I'm not going to argue. No, that's terrible. Do not say that. Do not say that at all. I, I will run from here if you say that. Uh, but, but often in Jesus' day, Lord was just a way of being polite and saying Sir. I don't think that's the function here. Already in Luke, you've seen multiple times where people have used the word Lord. Uh, Peter calls him Lord after Jesus uh, has him catch all those fish in Luke 5, 8. Uh, the leper calls Jesus Lord in Luke 5, 12. And then in Luke 6, 5, if you remember that, where Jesus refers to himself as Lord of the Sabbath. I don't think in those, in those contexts that that's just a polite sir, that that's, that's making a theological declaration or statement that Jesus is much, much more than a sir or a rabbi or even a prophet. You see, for, for the Jewish people familiar with the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, the word Lord, uh, at least the Septuagint version, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word Lord was synonymous with God. And so to call Jesus Lord is to confess nothing less that Jesus is God, whose authority is absolute, unlimited, and universal. That's what I meant to the Jewish people, is saying that Jesus is God with, with ultimate authority. 
Now for the, the Gentiles who were under Roman rule, they were only supposed to have one Lord, and that was Caesar. And they were to go around saying, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And Christians started saying, no, Jesus is Lord, which led to their death. Many Christians were martyred, put to death, because of that phrase, Jesus is Lord. And so it's a very powerful, a rich statement to say, Lord, Lord. A, a, a very, very, very a powerful statement, acknowledging that uh, Jesus is Lord and there is no other, that Jesus is the master of my life. The song we're just saying is to say, my life is not my own. Take my life. Do what you will. It's not my life. It's, it's yours. You're, you're Lord of my life. So it's no small thing to say, Lord, especially to say, Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus here points out the irony or the hypocrisy of saying, Lord, Lord, why do you say that? Why do you call me that? Why do you say that I have ultimate authority over your life and that I'm, that I'm God and not do what I say? It's a piercing question. To confess Jesus as Lord and yet to fail to obey is a contradiction of the highest uh, imaginable. Profession without obedience is to fake intimacy. Profession without obedience is to pretend a deep relationship with Jesus. Profession without obedience is to honor him with your lips, but have a heart that is far from him. Quite frankly, profession without obedience is worthless. Profession without obedience is worthless. Even if you say, Lord, with tears coming down your cheeks. Even if you say, Lord, with hands held up high, or you say, Lord, over and over again, and each time you say it with more intensity, if you do all of that without obedience, it is a worthless profession. <clears throat> it's the heights of hypocrisy. Perhaps you approve of all biblical doctrines. Uh, your heart delights and jumps in justification and sanctification. You love to study about faith and repentance and the atonement. You, you read and study the Bible and you know your doctrine inside and out, but yet instead of making you gracious and compassionate, it's made you judgmental. It's made you puffed up and prideful. Perhaps you talk much of God's forgiveness of you, but you refuse to forgive someone else, and you're bitter and angry towards them. You talk about God's mercy and compassion, but again, you're filled with this hateful, severe, harsh condemnation. You sing about God's amazing love, his sacrificial love, and yet you hardly lift a finger to help those in need around you. You say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, but you have no love for holiness, no hatred of sin, and no growth in Christlikeness. You warmly profess that Jesus is, is the love of your life, and yet you rarely pray, if ever, and rarely open the Bible. Spurgeon once said, there's enough dust on the cover of your Bibles to write the words damnation. That's pretty hard-hitting, isn't it? You, you talk about God's generosity and how he meets all of your needs, but you yourself hold your, your wallet very tightly and are not very giving. You say you love the gospel and love to tell the story, but you can't remember the last time you did share the gospel or tell the story about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You express deep thanks that Jesus obeyed even to the point of death on the cross, but you don't do what Jesus tells you to do. And on Monday, you yell at your wife. On Tuesday, you cut corners at work. And on Wednesday, you're viewing pornography late at night on, the, on, the, on the, your phone or the computer. You say that Jesus is Lord, but you live like you are the Lord. You admit that sexual morality is sinful, but you secretly daydream about others. You say, God is in control but you're filled with anxiety and worry all the day long about anything and everything. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? And do not do what I say. See how piercing that is? Why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do what I say. He's searching the whole tenor of our lives, the direction of our lives. He is challenging you and I. Is your life really lining up what you profess with your lips? To drive the point home even farther, he asks that question, then he gives a powerful illustration in verses 47, 48, and 49. And that illustration is about the two builders who build a house, and a storm comes, one stands, one doesn't. What we see from that that illustration, we see a few things. We see that everyone is a builder. Everyone in this room is building something. We're all builders. I'm a builder, you're a builder. And what you are building is your life. And the most critical question that I need to ask myself and you need to ask yourselves is, what are you building your life on? That's more important than anything else you can imagine. That's more important than the, the price of gas at the gas pump. That's more important than whatever's happening in the White House and around the world. The most important question burning for each one of us is, what are you building your life on? You are building, you are building your life. What are you building it on? Is it on the Lord Jesus Christ? And you ask, well, how do I know if I'm building my life on the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is telling us, you know, because you obey. Because you come to him, you hear his words, and you do it. You obey. You don't merely profess to follow him, but you do what Jesus taught. Jesus goes on to say, not only is everyone a builder, but there are only two kinds of builders, right? There's the builder who digs down deep into the bedrock, finds the rock, finds that for a foundation, and builds his, his house on that bedrock, on that rock, right? And Jesus says, the storm comes, but it is not what? shaken. Jesus says there's another builder who decides not to build a foundation and just builds a house without a foundation. And again, the storms of life come, and great is the fall. Great is the collapse, the ruin of that house, that life. What was the difference? Because again, outside looking in, both houses probably look pretty similar, right? You wouldn't be able to tell much of a difference, perhaps, But the question is the foundation. The crucial difference is the foundation. Notice verse 47, where Jesus uses, again, those those three participles, those three verbs. Everyone who comes to me, right, comes to me. That's verb number one. Hears my words, that's verb number two. And does them, that's verb number three. I will show you what he is like. He's like the one who builds on a strong foundation. But then notice verse 49 The one who hears and does not do them, that's the one building without a foundation. Building their life without a foundation. What's the foundation? It's doing what Jesus says, right? 
the wise one here comes to Jesus, hears it and does it, and they stand. The foolish one hears it but doesn't do it. They have no foundation and they fall. So how do you know you are building your life on the, on the right foundation? The, the answer again is you don't merely say with your lips, Lord, Lord, but you do what he says. You live your life on his word. Please, please hear this. Obedience is not optional. Obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a good clarification, to the Lord Jesus Christ is not optional. The Bible teaches this over and over again. Flip over to Luke chapter 8, 19 through 21. We'll see where Jesus teaches this idea that obedience to what Jesus teaches is not optional as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 8, 19 through 21 says, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Watch how he answers. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and what? Do it. They do it. They put it into practice. John 14, 21 and 24 says this. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Not just enough to hear his commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 24, John 14, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You see? You say, I love Jesus. I love him so much. He's the love of my life. He's been so good to me, so wonderful to me. And he, he died on the cross for my sins. You say everything that's right. You profess it right. You say all the right words. You can say it with, with tears streaming, streaming out of your eyes. But if that profession does not lead to obedience, it is a false profession. That's what Jesus is saying to us. If you love me, you'll hear my commandments and you will keep them. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then 1 John 2.3 really nails it when it says, By this we know, we have come to know him, if we keep his commands. Here's how you know that you really know Jesus. You keep his commands. Again and again and again, the Bible teaches that true disciples of Jesus Christ do what Jesus says. And yet again, as I've alluded to very strongly, many, many are deceived. Many are given false assurance because they walked an aisle or prayed some prayer that, that, that they have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Where do we find that biblically? We'll say, well, 20 years ago, so-and-so walked the aisle and got saved, and he still swears every other word. He still gets drunk every weekend, and he still gets wasted. He never reads his Bible. But I was there. I saw it. I heard what he said. He's saved. And Jesus says, what? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? 
Where is the doing? Where is the good fruit? Where is the change? Where is the transformation? Listen, warm feelings, best intentions, sincere hopes and wishes, saying all the right words, doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. You cannot say you believe in Jesus and live any way you want and think you're on your way to heaven. Far from it. Jesus says you are on your way to what? Ruin. You're saying all the right things, but Jesus says if you're not obeying, you are on your way to ruin. There's no substitute for obedience Again, no matter how Christian your vocabulary may sound, they say all the right words, they maybe even come to church every Sunday. Look, there's pastors. There's pastors who say all the right words who later in life come to find out my word. It was all a shame. I was just saying what I was saying. I wasn't really living it, and the Lord shown that and saved me. It's not about having all the right words. It's about a faith that leads to obedience. <clears throat> Now, I've stressed quite a bit on obedience because Jesus is stressing obedience in our text. I, I don't want to come across as a couple of things. One is I don't want to come across as sounding like obedience is easy. Christians and true disciples of Jesus Christ obey Jesus, but my word, it is not easy. Was it easy or is it easy to build a house? Is it easy to dig down deep, to remove the topsoil and dig down deep into the rock? Is that easy work? My goodness, that's hard work. Obedience is not optional, but obedience also is not easy. I'm not standing up here saying, it's so easy to believe, it's so easy to obey, just obey, just obey. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy to forgive someone, is it? It's not easy to love your enemy. It's not easy to go against the stream and live right side up in an upside down world. It is not easy to stay pure in our sex saturated world. It is not easy to serve others. It takes discipline to obey the scripture. So, so don't hear Jesus or me saying that all of this is easy, but we are saying it's worth it, that it is the fruit of true, of true belief in Jesus Christ, and it's worth it because when the, the storms of life come, because you come to Jesus and hear him and obey him, you will stand and not be ruined. <clears throat> also, please don't hear me saying this morning those are the two, two things I was very concerned about as I prayed through this and thought through this and how I'm going to say this this morning. Two things I was very concerned about is, one, this will come across as obedience is so easy. We even sing that song, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, and it just sounds so wonderful and happy and easy, right? But the other fear that I was worried about is, and stressing obedience, is that someone might walk away from here thinking that, well, I guess we're saved by works. I guess we're saved by doing lots of good things. See, it's, it's just salvation by works. No, 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 no. Jesus isn't saying that at all. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, by the grace of God alone. That is the good news of the gospel, that we are not saved by works. No one will ever be saved by works. That is impossible. 
We are saved by placing our faith in Jesus and his long act of obedience, of living a sinless life of obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross, not for his sins, but for our sin. We are saved by Jesus' work, by Jesus' obedience, and Jesus' work in obedience alone. But true saving faith changes you from the inside out. True saving faith, a placed in Christ alone, produces good fruit. We talked about that last week. Turn with me, because I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Please don't ever, ever take my word for it. Scripture is the authority, not me. Scripture is Lord of the life, not me. If, if you're new here and you heard me tell that joke about call me Lord, my goodness, never, never, never. Uh, but call Jesus Lord, call his scriptures Lord of your life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. <clears throat> says this, and I want you to hear to, in this text to hear the connection between salvation by grace through faith, not by works, but how that leads to good works. So verse 8 We all know verse 8, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. People always read those two verses, and they close the Bible, and they'd say, amen, that's so wonderful. We're not saved by works. Praise God. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. But read verse 10, right? Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. That's synonymous for obedience. And that's obedience isn't optional because God prepared beforehand that we would do them. You see the connection between faith and obedience? They're distinct. Faith is different from obedience. They're distinct, but they are inseparable. They are, they are bound together like fire and heat right? Or like the sun and light, two very distinct things, but they are inseparable. And faith and obedience are two very distinct things, but they are inseparable. If you have truly placed your faith in Christ, it will undeniably, inseparably produce obedience. That's what the scriptures teach. We read that also everywhere in scripture. One example would be Titus 1.16, where we read, Unbelievers profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Did you hear that, Titus 1.16? They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So there's always two errors that we are prone to fall into on either side. We we walk this line of salvation by faith alone and Christ alone to the glory of God alone and by God's grace alone, right? right, We we walk that line, but there's these two errors we're prone to fall into. One is salvation by works. The other one is salvation apart from works. Those are these two errors that we're always prone to fall into. Salvation by works. Uh, salvation apart from works. It's salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, which produces a new heart, new desires, and new obedience. Again, do we do this perfectly? 
No, I don't, no one here obeys perfectly. Don't hear me saying that this morning. Jesus is not talking about perfection. He's talking about the direction of your life. Again, look back at verse 47. Back in Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 47. I want you to focus on those three verbs again. And I want you to see that they are present tense. Okay, there you're looking at Luke 6, 46. And we have those three present tense verbs where it says, everyone, and you can, it, should, it, it, it can and should be translated this way, everyone who is coming to me and is hearing my words and doing them, I will show you what he is like. That is a beautiful picture of a disciple, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's a disciple? A disciple is running to Jesus all the time, is hearing his word, he's under his word all the time, and he's what? Or she's what? She's doing it. She's putting it into practice. That's the direction of your life. Well, let, me, let me flesh those things out a little bit. And, and just ask yourself, let the Spirit work in your heart as you think about these things. Is the direction of your life that of which you are constantly running to Jesus? Salvation is not a one-off, I prayed a prayer one day. Salvation is a daily running to Jesus Christ. Salvation begins with recognizing my sin and, and, and it's offense to God and that because of that sin, I'm under God's wrath, rightly so. And so we run to Jesus who alone can save us from our sins. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's not I ran to Jesus. I ran and I keep running. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me... He must take up his cross daily and follow me. How often? Daily. Hear the present tense? Daily. Continuous. John 15 says, apart from me, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Which is to say, my word, I need him 24-7. I need to abide in him at our house I can't stand coffee. I like how it smells. I can't stand it to drink it. My dad, when I was like six, had me drink it. My dad drinks unadulterated coffee. <clears throat> and I drank that, and it's the most bitter, awful, foul-tasting thing ever in my life. I've never, I've touched it once since to be like, well, maybe that was just a bad experience. Nope, that's terrible. But I love how it smells. I love how it smells. But in our house, maybe you have this plaque too. We have a plaque that, that's hanging up that says, I need a little bit of Jesus. Every day I need a little bit of Jesus. Or I need a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. And that's, that's the idea that's here. As a disciple, I need a whole lot of Jesus. I need Jesus every moment of every day. We, we sing it, right? I need you. I need you every hour. I need you, right? That's, that's the idea that's here. Do you know Jesus? Does Jesus know you? And, and when you come to Jesus, when you're running to Jesus, you put yourself in a position to hear his word, right? You hear his word. Like, like it says again in verse 47, everyone who is coming to me and is hearing my words... Now that means more than you came on a Sunday morning and the sound of my voice is banging on your eardrums. 
It means more than that. Listening or hearing means comprehension. You comprehend what is being said to you. And that's, that's why, again, as, as a pastor, you, you take very seriously the proclamation of God's word because you want to proclaim it in a way that it can be comprehended. And the worst thing a pastor can ever do with God's word is be boring in the pulpit, right? I believe it's, it's, it's one of my privileges and responsibilities as a pastor is to preach God's word with all my might and all my ability and it's your great privilege and responsibility to do your best to hear. It's my, my privilege and responsibility to do my best to preach it. It's yours to do your best to receive it, right? And so there's, there's, it's a two-way street happening right now. But that's, that's, the, that's what hearing means. It means to understand, to, to comprehend. And I don't think it will take much to convince you that we have a, a serious listening problem uh, in, in our lives, just ask the wife who tries to talk to her husband while the TV's on, right? Or, or ask the parent who tries to talk to their child while they have an iPad in one hand, uh, something in their ears, and all that stuff that's going on. It's pretty hard. We have a listening problem. We are very distracted people. Our attention span is very, very short. It's even more serious when it comes to spiritual things. As hard as it is to, to get people to listen to you about things that aren't spiritual, when it comes to spiritual things, it's even harder because the scriptures teach that apart from God's grace, we have these blockers. God's speaking on FM. He's transmitting on FM. We're receiving on AM. That's often what's happening spiritually. That's why Jesus calls upon us to listen. I love Luke 8.18 where Jesus says, Consider carefully how you listen. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Do you ever consider how you listen? <clears throat> very, very interesting. <clears throat> Can you say with Jesus, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God? Are you hearing God's word? It's not enough just to run to him and say, I love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you love this. You love his word. You hunger after it. You thirst after it. You want to know it. You want it to know you. Let me share with you a, a fascinating study uh, done a few years ago. They, they polled 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. So 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. They wanted to kind of get an understanding of how people engage with Scripture. And in doing it, they, they discovered some really fascinating things. <clears throat> the, the study indicated that when people engaged in Scripture just once a week, there was little to no effect on their life. So, so for people who are, again, engaging with God's Word once a week, maybe once a week they open it, or once a week they come to church and the pastor says, open your Bibles. And there's little to no effect on their life. The same result was true for people who engaged in Scripture only two times a week. When it came to three times a week, there was a small indication of life. Suddenly there was a, a slight pulse, maybe a faint heartbeat of something going on there. The eye-opener was this. They discovered in this study, again, of 40,000 people, ages 8 to 80, that when people engaged God's Word four times a week or more, it changed their lives dramatically. Listen to some of these statistics that they, that they pulled together. People who engaged the Bible four times a week they were feeling lonely, dropped by 30% in their lives. Anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness dropped by 40%. 
Alcoholism dropped by 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped by 68%. Viewing pornography dropped by 61%. These are the ones that really jumped out on me. Sharing your faith jumped 200%. People who engage God's word four times or more a week, they wanted to share their faith 200% more. Also, discipling others jumped by 230%. Isn't that astounding? A true disciple of Jesus Christ runs to Jesus. I need Jesus. And when you run to Jesus, you're running to his word. You're hungering after his word. You're engaging in his word. And God's word produces good fruit in you. God's word changes you. God's word empowers you to be who he calls you to be. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he prays in John 17, 17, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. You want to be more like Christ? And are you struggling with anger or loneliness or alcoholism or pornography or sex outside of marriage or struggling with sharing your faith? My goodness, get in God's word. But then do what? What's the third verb? You got to do it. <laughs> right? You got to do it. Verse 47, everyone who is coming to me and hearing my words and doing them, I'll show you what that person is like. That person uh, can withstand any storm. So everyone is a builder, yes? We're all building our lives. The question is, what are you building your life on? Are you building it on the Lord Jesus Christ? There's only two builders. You're either building it on the foundation or you're not. You're either obedient or you're not. Not perfectly, but you're, you're striving. The direction of your life is obedience. Not perfection, but obedience. The, the, a long obedience of, of going kind of, it's like this, but you're still going up, right? You're still obeying. Uh, you're growing in Christ-likeness. And as you do so, the storms of life will come. There's only two results. There's the storms that come. The forecast is 100%. Jesus does not say if the storm comes. He says when a flood arose in verse 48. And he says the same in verse 49, when the stream broke. So as you live this life, as you build your life, storms of life will come. And it's only those who are running after Jesus, hearing his word, and putting it into practice who will endure, who will stand, who are true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those who hear it but don't, by God's grace, put it into action, their lives will be ruined. In fact, it is very, very striking how Jesus ends his sermon not on a note of grace, but on a, on a note of like, oh my word, right? <laughs> he ends with, it fell and the ruin was great. And the echo of that house collapsing is all that you're left with. That's, a, that's quite the ending uh, to, to a sermon. Who wants that, right? As sad as it is to lose someone's house, you know, lost by a fire or lost by a flood, that's an awful thing. It is far sadder to lose your life because of disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> what challenge is you drive around where, where we live and you see some of these houses and you see some houses that are kind of falling apart. Those are powerful pictures from the Lord constantly to ask yourself, which one am I? Is, is, is my life falling apart like that? Am I building my life on, on, that, on that foundation? These, these pictures are everywhere for us. <clears throat> if 
If you do not build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, your life will be ruined temporarily and eternally. A man hooked on gambling throws all his money away, drains his bank account, his savings, his retirement. Now he has nothing. He's ruined. Another person is hooked on alcohol, drinks morning, day, and nights, utterly drinking his life away, ruining his job, his home, his life, his relationships. Maybe it's a person who is consumed with bitterness and unforgiveness and it ruins their life. All they can think about is how that person betrayed them and it it burns a hole in them. It eats them alive. Maybe you're one who is filled with this uncontrollable anger. Everyone's scared to death around you because they never know what you're going to say or what you're going to do. I actually know a person who got so angry that they had a brain aneurysm and died. Uncontrollable anger. Maybe you live for admiration and you want to be loved and well thought of and be be liked by everyone only to find out that there's no one as miserable as you who try to please everyone and suddenly you're the master of none and mastered by, or you are mastered by everyone. You have no control over your life. And those might be some extreme examples Uh, For others of us, it's just everyday decisions. We make a thousand decisions every day. Are those decisions based upon the Word of God? Are the everyday decisions that you're making, are they the fruit of running to Jesus and hearing his Word and wanting to put it into practice? Or are the everyday decisions you're making filled with flesh, filled with the world, filled with the so-called wisdom of this world? It's heartbreaking when you see people disobeying God's word and throwing their lives away, and here's the thing, it's completely avoidable. It's completely avoidable. In each one of those examples I just gave, if, if that person had been running to Jesus and hearing his word and putting it into practice, they could have stood the test. Instead, they heard God's word and disobeyed, showed their true nature, and fell. They paid the price. On November 8th, 1994, there was a pastor by the name of Scott Willis and his wife, Janet. They had no idea what was going to take place that day as they piled their six youngest children into their minivan on their way to a birthday party in Watertown, Wisconsin. This was going to be a day for them of great pain and great horror. You see, as they were on their way to that birthday party, again, their house or their minivan filled with those, their six youngest kids, they're on I-94 on their way to Watertown, Wisconsin. There was a piece of debris on the road. Apparently it was a piece of metal. It hit that metal. It caught on the gas tank, lit like a matchstick and the van became a blazing furnace, almost instantaneously. Somehow the mom and dad, and and Pastor Scott talks about how he had to consciously, forcibly make himself through the flames, in the flames, throw his hands into that to unbuckle, and then open the door and throw himself out. Same with his wife. Somehow she manages to do that too. The other six children... Gone. 
<clears throat> Janet, the wife, falls out, turns around and sees her children dying and screams out, no, no, no. Eleven days later, Pastor Scott and his wife do a press conference, and you can find this online. <clears throat> and Pastor Scott's face is burned, burn marks all over it. And they have this press conference, and he opens it by reading from the Bible these words. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Isn't that incredible? <clears throat> he said... I know God has purposes and God has reasons. God has demonstrated his love to us and our family. There is no question in our minds that God is good. And we praise him in all things. Janet speaks up and says, that's right, we belong to him. My children belong to him. He's the giver and taker of life. Now, recalling that moment and why I wanted to share this with you was Janet talks about that moment when she falls out and turns around and sees the minivan burning and her children gone. And she's screaming out, no, no, no. She remembers vividly that her husband, Scott, put his hand on her shoulder and said, honey, the Lord prepared us for this. He prepared us for this. The storm of life came, didn't it? And because they were running to Jesus, had heard his word, were hearing it and obeying it, that storm came, those floods rose, and that house, it stood strong. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what Jesus is calling for in these scriptures. Those tests, those storms reveal what's really going on here. And unless, again, unless you're running to Jesus and hearing his word and obeying him, your ruin will be great. What a testimony from Pastor Scott and his wife. Again, you can, you can find that online if you just, just Google it. You can even read news articles about it. It actually led to a, an investigation on some interesting things. But the question this morning is, again, do you this morning profess, Lord, Lord? Would you say those words, Lord, Lord? And Jesus is asking you, do you do it? Do you obey? Are you truly building your life on me? And I've, I've hit this hard this morning because it is so easy to be deceived. There are a lot of unbelieving believers out there. There's a lot of false assurance out there. There's a lot of false disciples abounding. Please don't hear this message and read this text and think, I got it, it's all good. Please take the time to consider you could be wrong. Why would you mess with that? You don't want to go and echoing into eternity the collapse of the house. Who wants that? You hear it often enough in, in humble testimonies from people who confess, you know, I, I went along the church, I sang the songs, I, I went to the youth meetings, I went to the camps in the summer, I, I lived like a Christian on the outside, but I was not a Christian on the inside. I was raised in church. I, I was always at church when the doors were open. I said the right things that everyone else was saying. I acted in the way that everyone thought I should act, but I was not on the inside living for the Lord. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? 
on the inside, are you truly trusting in him, running to him, hearing him, and doing what he says? Are you able to say this morning, my chief delight in life is the glory of God, to live for God, to honor God? <clears throat> if you're here and you don't, don't know for sure, and you're wondering, you know, I, I don't know my relationship with the Lord, we rejoice that you're here. That the Spirit's convicting and poking and, and prodding on a number of these things. We rejoice that you are here. Please do not leave here this morning without talking to me or someone about how you can have that right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, don't assume that you're okay with him. And if you're wondering about that, don't delay. Today is a day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't be like, I'll, I'll think about that later. Don't try and fit it into your schedule later. No matter how inconvenient, consider it, think about it, pray about it, talk about it, find help, put, turn from your sin, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I began the sermon by saying that Jesus is on a mission to multiply disciples. Well, Orangeville Baptist Church, that's our mission too. Amen? The mission of Jesus is the mission of this church. And what we need as a church today are sold-out followers of Jesus Christ who are running to Jesus, listening to Jesus, and obeying Jesus, no matter the cost. Imagine, Orangeville Baptist Church, what we can do for the glory of God, sold out for Jesus, obedient to Jesus, living for Jesus. No doubt as we do that, some will misunderstand it. Some might even hate us for doing that. But what we need to do is make up our minds and resolve that we're in it no matter what. That Jesus is Lord of our life. I don't just say it with my lips. I believe it with all of my heart and I seek to obey him. That's the general direction of my life. That's the mission of Orangeville Baptist Church to multiply disciples who obey Jesus no matter the cost. Our aim here is not simply to fill up the seats. We want to fill up the seats with men, women, and children whose heartbeat is, I will follow Jesus. I will obey Jesus no matter the cost. That's our mission. Given by the Lord for his glory, for his praise. Will you join us in that mission? Again, maybe right now the Lord is poking on your heart. I'm not part of that mission. Today is the day. Join us in that mission. Amen? We're going to close a song. Uh, I believe it's on Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Um, I ask that you stand as we sing that. I'm also going to close us here in, in prayer <clears throat> as Josiah makes his way up and the team. <clears throat> Father, what a powerful text, a piercing question. Forbid it, Lord, for myself and for any of us here that we would just think to ourselves, you know, I, I got this, we're good, I don't need to worry about this. But Lord, search our hearts, help us to be humble, search our hearts, show us, Lord, if we're just merely professing and not really living it, Lord. If there's anyone here this morning who's, who's just saying with that one, one person that, you know, I, I go to church, I sing the songs, I say all the right words, but I know in my heart, I know it, I'm not right with you. Lord, be gracious to them right now. Help them to run, run to you right now in faith, crying out to you for forgiveness, crying out to you to change them. Lord, please save them in this way, and we give you the praise for it. For us here, Lord, who are 
however imperfectly, running after you and hearing you and obeying you. Uh, Lord, help us just to grow in that obedience. Help us to grow in our love for you, grow in our understanding of your word, uh, grow in our, again, our application of that word. Help us to be sold out for Jesus, willing to follow him no matter the cost. We, we thank you for how you sustain Pastor Scott and his wife. And we thank you, Lord, that you will sustain us that same way. We praise you for it. When these, when these, when these storms come, Lord, help us, help us, help us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.